the volume. Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www. 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Lakers Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. I'm Jason Tim. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope your week is off to a good start. Another mostly predictable Lakers disaster tonight. We're going to spend a few minutes talking about that game. I don't want to spend too much time on it, just simply because the Lakers do not deserve to be discussed at length with the product they're putting on the floor. But we are going to touch on that for a little bit. 
I wanted to di- dive into the Jokic Embiid battle tonight, which I thought was super interesting on a bunch of different levels. And then if you guys stick around for the end, I have some thoughts on the the Milwaukee Bucks and some really interesting stats from this them this year that concern me about whether or not they can repeat as champions. So let's start with the Lakers. So again, there's a huge difference between la- like being big and playing big. Because we've talked about at length that the Lakers don't have size at any of the positions that they need it to succeed at the NBA level. It was hilarious tonight to watch the Raptors bully them physically and to have their big audible to be, here comes DJ Augustine, here comes Avery Bradley, here comes Carmelo Anthony. This is how we're going to throw the curveball to try to hang with your freakishly athletic lineups. But that's the reality of their predicament. But it goes deeper than that because, you know, the Lakers are obviously not able of – they're not capable of hanging with the Raptors physically. That goes without saying. However, they're capable of hanging with them more than they did in the early phases of that game. Which brings me to an ancient basketball idea that is debated at all levels. It's the concept of being big versus playing big because – there's a way to play bigger than your size. And it has a lot to do with your physicality. We've all seen this. If you've been involved with sports at any level, even if it's baseball, if it's football, if it's basketball, you've all seen that freakishly large athlete that looks like a grown man amongst boys that doesn't make any sense. But for whatever reason, he's just not as good as he's supposed to be. Maybe he's passive. Maybe he doesn't like the physicality. I played high school football and basketball. I saw a little bit of both. I saw it in the college level as well. You'd see guys that have great physical tools, but for whatever reason, there's just something missing with their aggression, and it leads to them playing smaller than they are. And then you'll see the exact opposite. You'll see a guy like Draymond Green or a guy like P.J. Tucker. You'll see a guy like uh, like Fred Fred Van Vliet's an awesome example of this, a guy who's incredibly undersized and lacks almost everything that you would consider to be NBA tools for the position, but he's a great defensive player and a great offensive player in the NBA. It's a testament to the fact that he plays bigger than he actually is and his work ethic and everything that comes along with that. But the Lakers have a team full of guys that in addition to being small, also play small. You know, like Malik Monk, he's 6'3 and he's very athletic, but he's thin and wiry and he doesn't do great in high contact situations. You know, Carmelo Anthony, because of his lack of foot speed, he's going to struggle against bigger athletes as well. Even though he has some size, he's going to struggle in a lot of those matchups because his lack of foot speed causes him to play small. They went with Wenyan Gabriel as an audible at one point in the game to try to get some size and athleticism on the court. He played really hard. He battled, but he's thin and wiry, and he's not a super physical player. So he's going to struggle in a lot of those settings. And so what you saw there was a combination of a massive physical match, uh, physical mismatch in conjunction with a Lakers team that has really shied away from the physical areas of the game all season long. It's been a huge problem for them. It's manifested in a ton of different ways. They've had rebounding issues all season. They've had defensive issues all season, even when they've had their bigger personnel on the floor. It's something we've all been critical of with Anthony Davis from time to time. He can float in and out of games and not play as big as he is. It's been an issue with the roster, and I'm not surprised at all that it manifested the way it did tonight with the Raptors. The other thing I wanted to talk about with the Raptors that I think is really interesting, and this is an issue that goes deeper because it has a lot to do with the problems that I have with advanced metrics and the way that 
the very, very smart statistical analysts that work in the league, the way that they try to portray data to us. Because what you saw tonight from the Raptors was one of the most impressive bits of defensive pressure that I have ever seen. And they've always been like this. They've been like this for as long as I can remember with Nick Nurse at the helm and with, uh, and with Masai Ujiri as the general manager with the guys that he's brought into this franchise and the way that that's led to a specific type of on-court product. But from the time the ball is thrown up in the air, they are in your jersey. There is nothing that is easy. No one is ever comfortable. And that's, that's what I always talk about. There's a difference between being on a player and having your arm extended and playing a little bit of defense, but th there's a difference between that and literally making that person uncomfortable. Getting into getting up under, underneath them, making every single dribble, every single swing pass, even just bringing the ball up the floor becomes a royal pain in the ass. And when you set that tone from the opening tip, it makes everybody uncomfortable. It causes teams to not shoot well. It causes teams to have turnovers. It causes a dip in confidence. It's a huge part of what has made the Raptors so successful over the years. And it's a credit to them. You know, Laker fans all the time will say things like, oh, so-and-so's coming to town. He's going to shoot. He's going to shoot better than he has all season. Or like, the, you know, every star plays their best game against the Lakers. And that's not a coincidence. A lot of times fans have a way of convincing themselves that is related to luck. Like, oh, we got bad luck. Gary Trent Jr. shooting really well tonight. Or, oh, we got really bad luck. Kyle Lowry's going off again. Or whatever it might be. It's never that. It's not luck. The reason why players have good games has a lot to do with how comfortable they are. And if you come out with a lack of defensive pressure, if they bring up the ball, if they bring the ball up the floor with no ball pressure, if they throw swing passes with no resistance, if there's very little physicality, if there if you can run a if you can set a down screen or cut through the lane and there's nobody throwing a forearm shiver in your chest as you're coming through the lane, or if no one's really fighting through the screen, you just operate at a level of comfort and confidence in the game that leads to you having a big night. Those things are very much related to each other. And what Toronto did tonight is make the Lakers feel really uncomfortable from the start and exposed them as a team that had a lack of fundamentals, which is something I talked about last night. Because how do you handle that? When a team comes at you with a ton of size and athleticism and a ton of defensive pressure, the only way to counter that is to play incredibly fundamentally sound basketball. Every pass needs to involve a pass fake. Every cut needs to involve a V-cut where you fake cutting the other direction. Every screen, you have to set your man up. Everything that you do on the floor has to be so fundamentally sound in order to counter what the super athletic, super high-pressure team is doing. And the Lakers are not that team. They were obviously going to fold under that kind of pressure. It was a very predictable outcome. So bottom line, I just wanted to throw a shout-out to the Toronto Raptors because they play basketball in a way that I think is highly – it's. It's very underestimated by NBA fans in a lot of different ways. People will look at that roster and be like, how does Pascal Siakam and, and Fred Van Vliet hang with all of the best star duos that we have in the league? And that's the reason why. They are a good basketball team from the top to the bottom. From Masai Ujiri bringing it. Look at their wings and all the guys they have between 6'7 and 6'9 that can run up and down the floor compared to what the Lakers have which is basically LeBron James and Wenyan Gabriel and Stanley Johnson. And Stanley Johnson's 
closer to 6'5 than he is to 6'7. So I, the, Masai Ujiri has done a great job. Nick Nurse has done a great job. And then the players in that locker room are so bought into that system. They compete and they deserve – they went out there and they whooped the Lakers' ass tonight and they very much deserved it. Last note on the Lakers before we move on. The Lakers are in a lot more danger than people realize of missing the plan. Now, I know everyone wants to talk about, you know, Brandon Ingram's injury and the Zion Williams situation, Zion Williamson situation and CJ McCollum and the fact that the, the Pelicans are trending downwards. And you look at a team like the Spurs and you're like, there's no way they're coming back, right? But the Lakers only have a two and a half game lead on the 11 seed. And if you look at their schedule and you look at the type of basketball they're playing, it's really difficult to see where the wins are coming from. And so, yes, they only have to be better than those teams, but those teams are probably more likely to manufacture wins over the course of the next month than the Lakers are. That's a real concern. They might, by the time Anthony Davis comes back, they could very well be entirely out of the playoff picture. Now, I would imagine if you gave a bunch of truth serum to those guys, they'd probably be fine with that because I don't, judging by the product that we're seeing on the floor night in, night out, especially in this back to back, these two ugly, ugly losses, they don't seem to be very interested in being here to begin with. But there's real danger here. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of, I, I see a sentiment coming from Laker fans that they think, oh, the, there's nothing that could happen that could cause them to miss the play. And I completely disagree. I think that the Lakers are very much headed in that direction. They, they only will continue to play better teams as time goes on, and they're not playing good enough basketball to even stay remotely competitive with these guys. And LeBron just can't, can't just drop 50 every night, okay? As, as a matter of fact, the Lakers are completely winless since the All-Star break in games where LeBron doesn't drop 50. So that doesn't bode well for this whole scenario. That's all I have for the Lakers. They don't deserve to get any more discussion tonight. So let's move on to uh, the Nugget Sixers. So there's a couple different ways to look at this. And I, I, want, I want to be clear up front because these topics get conflated often. When we're debating Embiid versus Jokic, the MVP discussion is very separate from the discussion of which player is better. Okay, because the best player in the league doesn't win MVP every year. That just never has been how it works. The MVP discussion is very different than what happened in this game. Very, way too often in NBA history, we'll take a head-to-head -head matchup and use it to determine the outcome of a, of a MVP race when the, they play 82 games. That's really silly. That's a silly way to do it. For instance, I thought Jokic was not – I thought Embiid outplayed Jokic tonight. But – I think Jokic very much deserves to be the MVP. We'll get to that in a second. But the point is, is these, co these topics have to be approached separately. Jokic, to me, is the runaway MVP. If you look at those two teams and you look at the talent between the two of them, even though Embiid might be a better player, you could make that argument. I wouldn't make that argument, but you could make that argument. In terms of what the MVP race always has entailed, Jokic is a much stronger MVP candidate. The Nuggets this season, coming into tonight, we're 16.8 points better with Jokic on the floor than with him off. Now, that's not what happened tonight. Ironically, they were minus nine in the Jokic minutes, and they were plus 13 in the minutes when Jokic was off the floor. It was a weird game. Bones Highland got outrageously hot. He hit three gigantic threes in the fourth quarter. All of them were tough. 
There was one that he hit from the logo. There was one he hit in transition. And then the one, he, the, the key one at the end of the game, the what amounted to the game winner, he was literally up against the shot clock. He released it with about a tenth of a second left. Just a huge shot from Bones Highland. And then uh, Jermichael Green made a bunch of huge plays down the stretch, hit a couple of mid-range jumpers that were huge. It was an interesting game in the sense that lesser players for the Nuggets made plays that shifted the outcome of the game even though Embiid played better than Jokic. But it's funny to see those two teams juxtaposed against each other to see the difference in the talent. Because you can kind of see like, you know, Aaron Gordon is is a is a vaguely similar player to a Tobias Harris, right? Like a highly paid wing that definitely isn't offensively skilled enough to be a number one option, but brings defensive versatility. And if you attack specific matchups with him, he's going to have success. And on any given night, he can give you 30. That's the Aaron, Aaron Gordon versus Tobias Harris type of dynamic. But outside of that, it's a complete like train wreck of talent difference between the two teams. You got James Harden on the perimeter, who's at a whole other stratosphere of a player than any of the guards who play for Denver. You've got Tyrese Maxey, who is like basically a much more developed and established pro version of Bones Highland. You know, a young, super talented guard, but that's just further along in his development and much more consistent. You look at a guy like Matisse Thibel, he's a better defensive player than anybody on the Denver roster. You'd take him over Jeff Green in a heartbeat. When you're really looking at it, there's a giant chasm in talent. And when you look at what Jokic has been able to do this year with that team, he has to be the MVP in my in, in my opinion. There's no way around it at this point. And when you factor in the Harden trade here at the end, I think that just kind of puts the nail in the coffin. Maybe not necessarily fair that Embiid getting more talent is a, is a demerit to him, but that's just kind of the way it works. Uh, unfortunately, that's the way it works. I think Jokic deserves to win the MVP. What's so funny about it, though, is even though I very much think that Jokic deserves to be the MVP, He's playing bad basketball right now by his standards relative to what he was playing the rest of the season. He is starting to really struggle in this recent stretch of games because he's been going against more athleticism in better defensive teams. I dove into the tape of the, the his last two matchups against Toronto and against Golden State, and he really, really struggled with the length that those teams have. Those teams are big with the tons of athletic wings, they fly around in rotations, they play passing lanes. And you're seeing a guy like Nikola Jokic, who's one of the best passers to ever set foot on an NBA court, who has incredible court vision, throwing the ball away all over the place. It's like he couldn't even see Matisse Thibel half the time on the floor tonight. He wasn't seeing the floor. It was bizarre. You could see Jokic get flustered by the size and athleticism of these teams. I saw. Literally, I saw Kayvon Looney completely lock Jokic down at the end of that Golden State Warriors game and force him into a ton of turnovers in crunch time. You know, Jokic is still amazing. He's going to make crazy shots. He made some crazy shots at the end of the game against the Warriors. He made some. He made an absolute wild falling out of bounds, leaning floater thing over Embiid today. Jokic is incredible. I'm not trying to undercut him by any stretch of the imagination. But what you've seen in this last week is some limitations for him when he faces some real size and athleticism, which is exactly what happened in the bubble when he ran into LeBron and Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard and that Lakers team that was flying around in rotation. All of a sudden, the same Jokic that was picking the Clippers apart was struggling. 
against that Laker defense. And I think that's where I digress from most of the, the Jokic hype. I very much think he is the MVP. But I think we got way out in front of ourselves with this Jokic is the best player in the world business. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoop sticks. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, errands has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com for more details. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. I think I could say the same thing with Embiid. Both of those guys have played well enough in the last two seasons. Both of them are, I think Jokic was a, a Jokic won MVP last year. Embiid was an MVP candidate last year. Jokic is going to win this year. Embiid is an MVP candidate again this year. They both are playing some of the best regular season basketball that we can see. But I've seen a lot of limitations from them in, in recent weeks that remind me of why I have guys like Giannis, like LeBron, like Kevin Durant ahead of them. A huge part of it is their foot speed. All over the, all over the court in this last week, when Jokic or Embiid get caught under the basket after some sort of miss, teams are making Philly and Denver pay just by sprinting down the floor. Embiid and Jokic are too slow to hang in a foot race when, when the, the collective foot speed of their opponent is fast enough to make them pay. 
for having a slow player on the floor. You're not doing that to Kevin Durant. You're not doing that to Giannis Antetokounmpo. You're not doing that to LeBron James. Now, Nikola Jokic, he's this amazing playmaker, which is something that you guys know I value so much, but he doesn't have that same level of individual offensive uh, ability that you see from those top-level guys. And Embiid has all that individual offensive ability, but he doesn't have the playmaking side. These guys have some pretty gaping holes for guys that are being loosely thrown around in that best player in the world conversation. I love them both. I enjoyed watching that game tonight. It was, it was like a vintage battle of the bigs. They both had success scoring on each other. They both had defensive success on each other. But I think we need to remember that there's a difference between that type, that archetype of player and that all-world, super versatile forward, the Kevin Durant, the LeBron, the Giannis, the guy that can guard all five positions, that can initiate everything from the perimeter, that can hang in a foot race, and that can do all of the things that those guys do. That will always, there may be a point in the future where the size advantages of those guys become so valuable that maybe it swings the pendulum. But for right now, you're best putting your money with those big wings. Those are the guys that are controlling the outcomes in the league today. I think we got a little ahead of ourselves with our, you know, worshiping the bigs. All right, before we get out of here tonight, I wanted to uh, talk about that Bucks game against the Jazz. So, First of all, I do not care that they beat the Jazz. As you guys know, I think the Jazz are frauds. The Jazz are the textbook example of a regular season win-producing machine. They have a bunch of offensive-minded perimeter players and one all-world, all-universe defensive player. So in the regular season, when teams can't game plan as much, you can run a basic scheme where you have your offensive-minded players just chase guys off the three-point line and funnel everybody to Rudy Gobert, and that works great. And then on the offensive end, because other defenses aren't as dialed in, those limited offensive players can create enough offense to be a productive NBA team. But they do not have that superstar offensive player, and their defense gets utterly exposed in the postseason when they can game plan and expose them for being a weak perimeter defense team. This is what happened with the Clippers in last year's playoffs. The, the Clippers literally hung a 130 offensive rating on the Utah Jazz, despite them being one of the best defenses in the league, because they spread them out, got Rudy Gobert out of the paint, and they understood, too, that if Rudy helped, all they had to do was do one extra rotation with the ball and have Rudy rotate out to the perimeter. All of a sudden, no one was under the basket. Guys could get to the paint. Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, Bojan Bogdanovich, these, Bogdan Bogdanovich, these guys are not great defensive players. And they don't have anywhere near as much defensive talent on the perimeter as any of the other contenders. I think they're frauds. So good, nice job for the Bucs tonight to get that win. But I just wanted to frame that with this because I'm worried about the Bucs on a couple of different levels. The Bucs are 18th in defense since the new year. They had a defensive rating of 125.8 against Golden State, 156.5 in the third quarter when Golden State went on their run to bump the lead from single digits up to 20. And so we're starting to have some really big red flags surrounding their defense, which is something that is a perennial, all, like it's one of the most consistent themes in NBA history is if you are not a top 10 defense, you cannot win an NBA championship unless you have an otherworldly talent advantage. Meaning if you don't have Steph, Clay, KD, and Draymond, or if you don't have Shaq and Kobe, you're not, if you don't have Hakeem Olajuwon at the height of his powers with MJ sitting on his couch, 
then you are not winning the title if you don't have a top 10 defense. That is just an established truth in NBA history. And the Bucs do not have a top 10 defense. And in fact, they're getting worse as time is going on. And before they went into Utah tonight, they laid another egg against Golden State. So I wanted to dig into their defense a little bit and see what's going on and see if it's something that I thought was rectifiable. So first of all, they're great at defending the paint. They're one of the best paint defenses in the league. They're great at rebounding. They're great at defensive rebounding, which is a huge part of defense. They're great in transition defense. They don't commit fouls. They do everything really well defensively, except they lead the league in three-pointers made allowed per game. They give up 20-plus wide-open threes per game, according to NBA.com, and what's, which leads the entire NBA. And this is what's crazy about that stat. So they're giving up more wide-open threes, meaning the defender is at least six feet away. They're giving up more wide-open threes than anybody in the NBA, but amongst opponents' wide-open three-point percentage, they have the third lowest. Meaning, even though they're giving up a ton of wide-open threes, they're not even making them. Opponents are shooting just 35.5% on wide-open threes against the Bucs. So their defense is even worse than what the results would show you. Because giving up that many wide-open threes, especially to NBA competition, allows teams to get in a rhythm and start making shots. But for whatever reason, they just haven't made shots against them this year. And there's a couple of things that come into that. Part of it is defensive scheme. Budenholzer has always been huge on packing the paint. This is what drives me nuts about everyone saying, oh, Brooke Lopez is coming back. That's going to fix everything. The paint is not the issue. They're having no issues controlling the paint defensively. They aren't guarding the three-point line. So some of this is a championship hangover. It's normal after you get the trophy to not want it as bad as the other 29 teams in the league. That can lead to some slippage. That's that disease of more, that thing that Pat Riley used to always talk about. It's all the stuff that we've always talked about, about defending champions. That's why it's so hard to repeat in the NBA. Part of it is the fact that they have the sixth fastest pace in the league. So they play so fast. And when teams play up and down the floor, Defense is usually the first thing to go as they fatigue. They're struggling with rotations. They're not getting around to the perimeter. So the question becomes, can this team win the championship? Now, I saw in that fourth quarter tonight, them really lock in and make things extremely difficult on Utah. So we saw an example of the switch being flipped tonight. But like I always say, that's why defensive rating is a great indicator of a team's overall effort. Is the switch getting flipped? the usual occurrence or is it the outlier occurrence and the numbers tell us that that fourth quarter against the jazz tonight was an outlier more often than not this season they've tried to tap into that and it hasn't been there so the bucks have to understand the urgency of the situation they have about a month's worth of games here to try to establish the defensive identity that they let slip away and if they don't they're going to lose because if they give up 20 plus wide open threes to a team like the Miami Heat or to a team like the Philadelphia 76ers or God forbid a team like the Brooklyn Nets, they're going to lose. Even if Giannis is Giannis, even if Chris Middleton's Chris Middleton, and even if Drew Holiday is Drew Holiday, they have to fix that. It's a huge problem. Everything in NBA history tells us that that's a massive indicator of a team's limitation in their pursuit of a championship, and it's serious for them now. They have to solve this problem over the course of the next month. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. I sincerely appreciate your guys' support as always, especially you Laker fans. 
for hanging with us through this complete and utter travesty of a season. Your support means the world to me. The Lakers play on Wednesday. The I believe the game starts at 5 Pacific Standard Time, so it's a little bit earlier, but we'll be going live right after the final buzzer. As always, I appreciate your guys' support, and I'll see you in a couple of days. volume let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit you can do that at errands rent to own appliances furniture and tech from top brands like hp samsung and ashley but say you don't need it anymore no problem at errands you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new Life's always changing. With errands, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Errands fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.